This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. If there's a humility, if there's a long-suffering, if there's a gentleness, if there's a willingness to bear with one another, do you think that there would ever be a church division? No. You know the only righteous church split that there is? Is when there's heresy that's being preached from the pulpit, and then, beloved, you better split. You better just get right out the door at that point. Because you don't want to be in a place that's not teaching the truth of God's Word. The Scriptures are clear. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. It's a gift of God, one that we can't boast in. So what we need to understand is there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It truly is a free gift. And once we receive it, we're not to go backwards and rely on our flesh to guide us. Instead, we need to rely on the Spirit of God. We need to be empowered by His grace. We need to allow Him to lead us. As we do so, we'll begin to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7, with the conclusion of our message entitled, A Walk Worthy of Our Calling. We were held captive by our sins, but He paid the ransom to redeem us. He paid the ransom in order to break that bondage of sin and death. And that's what redemption is. He paid the price. We were captives. We were prisoners because of sin, because of death. He paid the price to release us from captivity. This sin in our lives was that that separated us from relationship with God, the one true, the almighty God of the universe. And that sin through Christ was forgiven. And all of that was according to the riches of His grace. Not because you deserved it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I know many of you, and of the ones I know, I know you don't deserve it. And my best guess beyond that is none of us deserve it. From the best of us to the worst of us, we all fall short of the glory of God. We've been set free. We've been redeemed and forgiven. That's the calling that's in our lives. Paul goes on, and just real quickly in in chapter 2, he says, And you he made alive, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Even, verse 5, even when you were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And he says, by grace you've been saved. Not only were we dead, and he made us alive, he made us alive together in Christ. Not only were we dead, and we've been made alive, but now we've been raised up. Verse 6 says that we've been raised up together, made to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ. And on and on he goes, not only chapter 1, but chapter 2, here in this beautiful book of Ephesians. But suffice it to say that we've been given a great and a glorious call in our lives, from death to life, from separation from God to relationship with God, from facing the judgment of God to now knowing God as our loving Father, from eternal destruction to now eternal life. These These things, beloved, they ought to motivate us. It ought to cause a difference in our life if we take time to meditate on the reality and the truth of these words. It's from this understanding, it's from these things that Paul has just written that he comes in chapter 3 and he says, it's for this reason 
But then he doesn't complete his thoughts until you get to chapter 4. And he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Back in chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, Paul gives us what I look at as, 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 as five abbreviated declarations of how this life ought to look. How my life that is walking in a way that's worthy of that call ought to look. He says in verse 2, he says that we would walk with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in Love, And then in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That first word, quickly, is lowliness. Some of your versions might translate the word as with all humility or in complete selflessness. It's the same idea, it's the same understanding. But this isn't some false or debasing humility that says, oh, well, you know, I'm just like nothing at all. No, this is the reality and the truth that says, you know what, I am nothing at all. There's no importance in my life outside of Christ. I need to understand that. Every one of us need to understand that. That there needs to be this humility, this reality of truth, of this complete selflessness in our lives. This is the reality of what Jesus directed his disciples when he said, Man, consider others before you consider yourselves. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of us really have that thought as we move through the day that I'm looking for ways to consider others long before I consider myself? Humility or lowliness, it's a virtue that was unique or to the Christians at that time. In the Greek culture, humility was something that slaves had. And if I was a free man, I didn't walk in humility. I walked in pride. I walked in arrogance. And then all of a sudden the the Christians come, and for them it was a virtue that needed to be in their lives. Beloved, pride and arrogance of any sort have absolutely no place in the life of a believer. We see through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, those who honored God in their lives lived lives of humility. Numbers 12 Verse 3 tells us that now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who are on the face of the earth. Now, there's kind of a bit of humor in there if you understand who wrote the book of Numbers. Uh, Moses wrote it. But I don't believe that Moses put that little footnote in. I believe that that footnote was put in there, not as Moses, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know, I'm the most humble guy in the world. As a matter of fact, I've got my card right here, Mr. Humble. No, I don't think that that's the case. I think that there was a footnote that was put in there speaking of his humility. The prophet Micah in chapter 6 verse 8 gives us directions on how we need to live our lives. And Micah says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what we're called to do. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, he says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 10, James tells us to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
Paul himself writes a little bit later in the book of Philippians, Philippians 2, 3. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. So let me ask you, how often do you look for specific ways to honor others above yourself? Do you live a life that declares God first, others second, me third? Do you really live that life? Or is it just the bumper sticker on your car? You see, the problem with bumper stickers, they're usually behind you and you don't see them all the time. Really and truly, we are called to live our lives, God first, others second, and ourselves last. But you know what? The culture does not work that way, does it? We live in a culture that, that, that is so foreign. But, beloved, so did the first century church. And they lived it to such a dramatic way that the world, the darkness of the world, looked and saw and realized, man, these guys, these women are different. Because they walked in a humility. They walked in a care and concern for others that just did not fit the culture of the Roman and the Greek uh, lifestyles around them. The second of the virtues, and you guys need to go faster, otherwise you're going to run out of time. The second of these virtues is, is gentleness. It's the idea of power under control. And as someone has called it, it's domesticated strength. I, I love that word. Gentleness, domesticated strength. It's the idea of a trained animal, a trained horse with all the power and the authority, and yet a, a small little 10-year-old girl can take that horse out and safely ride it and direct it and control it. Why? Because there is a gentleness that's within that. And this idea for you and I is that we would have a responsiveness of a controlled life. That the world would look at us and understand we are in control. Better yet, that God is in control of our lives. And the sad thing that I see so many times is believers that are out of control. And not that they're out of control and giving it to God. No, they're just out of control. And they're wrecking havoc everywhere that they go. For you and I to be hard on other people, to be harsh with them, Beloved, that's not of Jesus. Now understand, you can be firm without being harsh. You can be direct and yet have a gentleness of spirit. There are things in life that we need to be firm with. We need to be direct about. But we don't need to have it as one that suddenly they're fearful of their well-being or of their life because you're bigger or badder or more powerful than that. No, the fact is, is you ought to come to them in the reality and the truth of a gentleness of spirit that says, you know what? Say some of the things we deal with in the office, contracts and different things that people... You know what? You said that you would do this, and you've been telling us that for three weeks. You need to do what you said you are going to do. Otherwise, we will change companies. You don't need to get mad. You don't need to get riotous on it. And I direct our ladies on the phones and our pastors, hey, you are representing Christ with every conflict that's on that phone. Every conflict that we deal with. Every issue of life, we represent Christ. And it's the same way with your life and my life. If I go to the restaurant and my eggs turn up scrambled instead of fried, you know, do I pop a cork or, or do I say, hey, you know what? Best I remember, I ordered them fried. 
or scrambled. I can't remember what I order now. Anyway, they're different than what I ordered. How do, how do you deal with conflicts in your life? How do you how do you deal with it? Do you deal with it in a manner of being controlled by the Spirit of God? Are you controlled by your passions and flesh and, and the anger of your life? The third factor that he speaks about here is long-suffering. Perhaps a word more familiar to us would be this idea of patient endurance. This attribute or this virtue is, is, is one that goes along with the idea of gentleness. And it's also listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit that's in, found in Galatians 5. Long-suffering or patience, it can be meant in, in reference to situations that we find ourselves in. Are you willing to wait on the Lord in the situations that you're in? Is there patience in your life when you're placed in a situation that you're uncomfortable with, you don't know the answer and you don't know the end of it? Are you willing to wait on the Lord? Do you realize how many times the instruction or the direction or the encouragement of waiting on the Lord is found within the Word of God? Just do a word study on that. It blew me away as I looked at it this week. Over and over and over and over and over and over and a few more times over. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 27:14 says, "Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord." Psalm 37, that whole psalm is about waiting on the Lord. So if you are as impatient as I am, perhaps one of the things that you need to do along with me is to meditate on the entirety of Psalm 37. Because over and over again it speaks. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Don't worry about the world. You know, we can get so stirred up about stuff that we have absolutely no control of, and suddenly it is overwhelming our life. It's time that we rest and that we wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31, very familiar passage. Probably many of you even have it memorized. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. Which ones? The ones that are in panic mode? No, those that wait upon the Lord. Long-suffering or patience is also one of those attributes that we not only in dealing with issues of our lives, but also that we demonstrate toward others. Over and over again, we see the teachings of Jesus declaring that we should forgive others as we have been forgiven. Lack of long-suffering or patience toward someone else in a believer's life, more often than not, is the result of spiritual pride. Lack of patience and long-suffering in dealing with someone else, more often than not, is spiritual pride. I've made it. Why haven't you made it? I've reached this level in my Christian life. I don't know what your problem is. You know, I won the battle over that issue that you're still dealing with. Why aren't you winning that battle? Or, you know, I've never dealt with that issue. I don't know why you have such a struggle with it. You see, it's a spiritual pride that doesn't allow me to be able to say, man, I know that you're struggling in that area. Let me walk with you. Let me be an encouragement to you. 
Let me walk beside you in the midst of that. It's spiritual pride that separates us from that. But beloved, knowing how much the Father has forgiven you, how much more should you forgive your brother? This leads right into the fourth virtue, Paul's list. He says, bearing with one another. But he doesn't stop there. He says, bearing with one another in what, church? In love. He doesn't make it simple. He doesn't allow for any kind of a surface response. He tells us to do it in love. And yes, it is that Greek word, agape, that kind of love, that self-sacrificial love that loves without expectation or reciprocation. I'm going to love you in spite of you. I'm going to love you with everything that I can, and I'm not looking for anything back. I'm not looking for a response. I'm going to love you because I am called to love you and because I want to honor my God in the midst of that. And I'm going to bear with you in love. The idea of bearing with one another, it it comes from the idea of literally holding up another one. The Greek word means to endure or to put up with, but you've got to understand is that putting up with isn't the idea, of, oh, okay, we'll just go through it again. Oh, here it comes again, man. You know, they've done it before. They're going to do it again. We'll just put up with them. That's not the idea. When he says well, we are to bear up one another in love, We move into that realm of these other virtues that he's already spoken about. Humility and gentleness and long-suffering in order that we can bear with one another. And let's face it, folks. People are often a mess. And at times, they're really difficult to put up with. It's the very attitude that Jesus had when he dealt with his disciples. How often, you know... If I was Jesus and they were my disciples, I'd say, you know what? You guys are fired. I'm going to go look for some more. How often I would have said, you know, you guys either get your act straight or that's it. But yet, with forbearance, with gentleness, with long-suffering, he bore together with them in love. How easy it is for us to cut people off when they don't live up to our expectations. How easy it is to close our eyes, to close our ears, and to shut our heart off, even to people who are different than us. How easy it is for us to stand as judge against those that are stumbling or against those that are weak in the faith. And yet, beloved, we have absolutely no room to do that. We have no place to stand as judge in anyone's life. And if anything, if you've reached an area of maturity, then you, above all people, ought to be the one that goes and bears up another and reaches down and encourages the brother or the sister that once again has fallen. And maybe the thing is, is they need somebody that's strong in the Lord to come and bear them up and walk with them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to continue to direct them to Jesus and to his word so that they can find victory in this life. Jesus declared that the world will know that we are his disciples by our church attendance. Amen? He'll say that they'll know that you are my disciples 
Because of the t-shirt you wear. No. He says they'll know that you are my disciples by your agape one to another. Your selfless love one to another. But that's only when you're walking the right line. No. Go so far beyond that. It means that when we fail, that in love we encourage each other. That doesn't mean we put up with sin. That doesn't mean that we just wink at sin. Even I mean, God doesn't do that, and, and neither should we. But when we see someone who has fallen, we ought to be the first to come to them and say, how can I encourage you? How can I help you? But so often, it's the church that comes and says, you're no longer welcome. You're no longer a part. You're not one of us because we don't act that way. Beloved, what a falsehood that is and what a misrepresentation that is on the truth of God's word. It's only with that kind of a mindset that we'll ever be able to move into the final virtue that he speaks here, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A lot of people look at that and they say, well, what do you mean the unity of the Spirit? Does that mean we just kind of become tolerant to everything and then whatever goes? No, that's not what he means at all. But this whole idea of that we walking in a manner worthy of our calling with all lowliness, with all gentleness, with all long-suffering, and bearing with one another in love. You know, it's in those areas that most church conflicts take place because of the failure to live in that kind of a lifestyle. The failure to live with those kinds of attitudes. Because you see how easy pride comes in. And it's when pride comes in that conflict begins. If there's a humility, if there's a long-suffering, if there's a gentleness, if there's a willingness to bear with one another, do you think that there would ever be a church division? No. You know the only righteous church split that there is? Is when there's heresy that's being preached from the pulpit. And then, beloved, you better split. You better just get right out the door at that point. Because you don't want to be in a place that's not teaching the truth of God's word. But other than that, then there ought to be a realization in your life and in my life, in every leadership life within the church, and everyone who walks through that church door, that this is a place of healing. This isn't a museum of saints. This is a hospital for sinners. This is a place where we come in to be encouraged in our walk with the Lord. This is a place that we come in to be strengthened in our walk in the Lord. This is a place where we come after being beat up out in the world all week long and our flesh pulling us and stretching us everywhere that it possibly can to be able to come in and to be encouraged and strengthened. Yes, challenged. And the reality of the fact that, no, this, this is what sin is. That we need to, again, avoid sin and lay those things off. But, beloved, the body of Christ ought to be those who reach out with care and concern rather than counting the number of times. Well, you know, it's like Peter. How many times does the church live like Peter? How many times should I forgive him, Lord? Seven times? That's a good holy number. Seven. You know, I did my numerical study. Seven is a godly number. And what does Jesus say? No, not seven. 
70 times 7. And most of us would probably be like Peter. We'd whip our calculator out and we'd figure out, okay, exactly how many times is 70 times 7? 490 times. Whew, that's a lot. Of, no, that's not even what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, you just keep forgiving. Elsewhere, he says, man, as the Father has forgiven you, so we forgive one another. When you're tired of the Father forgiving you, that's when you can shut off forgiveness for another. When you're done with God forgiving you, then you can be done forgiving another. But until then, you and I are called to walk with all lowliness, with gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Ephesians next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on The Open Word, subscribe to our Twitter feed at The Open Word Radio. You can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend, follow the Open Word Twitter feed, or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.